Welcome to South Park Church. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you for being here, whether you're in person or watching online today. Happy Mother's Day to all our moms and grandmothers and mother-like figures in our lives. Uh, we're super excited for you. Uh, and thanks for rolling with the punches today as we've had to combine our services together. Just very proud of our congregation for being so flexible and our staff and working hard to make today possible. We are in the midst of a sermon series called Good Enough, and it's based on a book by uh, Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie uh, from Duke University, and they have a premise that in our culture in America, there's an expectation that we live perfect lives, that we have the perfect family, we have the perfect yard, the perfect house, we have the perfect grades, the perfect job, the perfect income. We have the perfect bodies, and we have the perfect bank accounts, and we're supposed to project that into the whole world. That's what we do on social media. That's what we look on Pinterest for. Everyone's living the perfect life, and that brings a lot of pressure. And if we're honest, we all know that that's impossible, that that's a pipe dream, that none of us are perfect. So what does it mean to have a good enough life? What does it look like to live a good enough life? And that's what we're talking about today. Well, I'd like to start with a story. It's actually a true story. Back in 1818 here in America, there was a guy named William um, Cubitt who noticed that in uh, the prison system that prisoners in America were not really being rehabilitated or reformed. In fact, when they came out of prison, they had learned more about how to be better criminals because they mixed together with other people, they compared notes, and when they got out, they would commit more effective crime. And so he thought, we should really do something about that here in America. And so he came up with an idea to do something so that prisoners would have a, a way to spend time in prison, to work and, and do something good for the community and maybe get a sense of what it means to, to be a harder worker and maybe to isolate them some from each other so they're not comparing notes about how to be better prisoners. And so what he did was he came up with what was originally called the tread wheel, which later became known as the treadmill. And you can see it here. And you can see there's a group of prisoners and they're all what looks like a paddle wheel, right, that just keeps round and around and around. And so the prisoners would walk on this wheel for hours a day, some of them six hours a day, eight hours a day, ten hours a day. And some of those wheels were hooked up to things like uh, a machine that would grind up corn, and so they would grind up corn. Other machines, other these wheels were hooked up to uh, some pumps that would pump water from one place to the another, kind of like a big plumbing thing. And so they were giving some of their labor back to society. But eventually, the people who were in charge of the prisons just said, we don't need that. We just need to occupy their time. So for six, eight, ten hours a day, they're walking on a wheel that does absolutely nothing other than keep them going on the wheel. And they put up these partitions between the prisoners where they couldn't see or talk to each other. For six, eight, ten hours a day, they're walking and they're walking and they're not seeing anyone. And if that wasn't bad enough, then they begin to let people from the town come and mock them and make fun of them. Hey, you're getting, you're getting far. You're, you're doing really well. You're, 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 you know, getting a lot of, you're going a lot of places in this wheel here. They throw tomatoes at them and stuff, right? So for decades until the end of the century, this is what was happening to prisoners in America until someone decided, you know what, that's really not a good way to treat people, even prisoners, Right, and so we need to stop this. This is cruel. This is unusual. Um, and that is one place that people think that you get the phrase, I need to get off the treadmill, right? 
And so in our lives today, to get off the treadmill means that we need to stop doing things that are pretty much just a waste of time and effort uh, and not full of meaning. Now, hopefully you don't feel like you've ever been in a position like this where you're having to do manual labor that does absolutely nothing for society or for you. But I wonder if metaphorically you feel sometimes like you're on the treadmill, that life is like an endless revolving staircase where you're walking and walking and walking and don't seem to be making much of a difference, or you don't feel that there's a meaning to what you do, that we're walking on this treadmill day after day of trying to be successful, trying to get the right grades, get enough wins to feel that we're important, to to be beautiful enough, to have the perfect house, to have the perfect family, to have the perfect promotion, that we're just constantly trying to do everything that we can to make our lives better, but we don't feel that there's any meaning. And I'm wondering if you know what that feels like. I wonder, maybe it's that you're caring for someone else in your life and you just seem to be doing everything and it's just not enough. That that what we do is never enough. That we punch in and we punch out of work. We button our clothes in the morning, we unbutton them at night, right? We, how many cycles do we put in the, in the washing machine today or the dishwasher today, right? How many chicken nugget plates can we put in the microwave to where it's just the mundane parts of our, our lives make us feel like we're on that treadmill? Does anyone feel that busier is not really better? <laughs> Have we discovered that busier is not really better? And again, happy Mother's Day to all our moms and grandmas who are here. And uh, I was talking to one of our neighbors who's also good friends of ours. And, uh, and, they're, and she's a mom. She's going to church today at her church. And after church, they're going to uh, flag football, right? Because not even flag football takes Mother's Day off. How many of us here today feel exhausted? Absolutely exhausted that we've been walking on that treadmill and walking on that treadmill and walking on that treadmill and we need a break and we know that the treadmill's never going to stop but could it slow down for us today my question for you is what's a good enough pace to your life What's a good enough pace to your life to balance work and chores and time with family and and social commitments and all those things? What's a good enough pace to our lives that we can enjoy that, that we can live a life that is full? We talk a lot about that here at South Park Church from the Bible. Jesus said, I came to give you life to the full. But how many of us feel like our lives are not full other than standing on that treadmill going around and around and around, right? What is a good enough pace to life. Now, our self-help culture in America would say, all you need to do is work harder, right? Just a little more effort. 30 minutes more here with your family, it's going to be great. 30 more minutes at work, you're going to be great. 30 more minutes on the, on the, on the ball court, you're going to be great, right? But what does the Bible teach us about a good enough pace to our lives? Let's go back to a verse that we actually looked at last week. This is from Matthew's Gospel, and and this is something that Jesus teaches us. And and maybe this sounds inviting to you. It sounds inviting to me. Let me read this to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we talked about how Jesus was talking to people who had 613 religious rules to follow. And they were feeling very burdened by that. And Jesus said, you know what, let me make it simple for you. Let's take the 613, we're going to boil it down to two, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Those are two guidelines that you can live your life by rather than 613 commands. Jesus said, I want to help you like, have a, a, an easier life, right? Uh, less burden in your life. That's very, very inviting. And again, Jesus says that he wants us to have life that is full. But how many of us are, are so exhausted that we don't have a full life? We have fullness in our calendars and in our day planners and all that kind of stuff, but we feel exhausted at the end of the day. So let's keep going and, and see what else Jesus teaches us today about a good enough pace to life. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to some people who are worried. They're worried about where their next meal is going to come from, where they're going to get clothes, where they're going to live, where they're going to spend the night, right? So some people are just really struggling with everyday stuff. They're worried. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Right? Jesus says the most important thing is to be in a relationship with the God. If you focus on your, on your relationship with God, let God take care of all those things to worry. God says, don't worry, I've got this. Right? Focus on what's most important. Right? Focus on that relationship with me, and the rest will take care of itself. Now, I, I think I see in this verse also another thing that Jesus is saying, and, and basically he's saying, make First things first. Put first things first. What are the priorities in your life, right? Put first things first. And this is not just a theological concept. It's also a business concept. You ever heard of Stephen Covey? The guy that says the seven habits of successful people and all that kind of stuff. And then some of his work is predated by a guy uh, earlier uh, in American history, a guy named Charles Hummel. And basically they say, Put first things first, right? And then they also say to avoid the tyranny of the urgent, okay? So let's think about what this means. These are business practices that really also stem from Scripture. So let's put that slide up there, first things first, that in your day, you need to focus and make sure you're doing the things that are most important, right? If you're like me, when I see my to-do list, I try to check off the things that are easy to do, right? The quick things. Let's just, let's do about 10 things so I can get that off my list and I'll get to the important things later, right? But Jesus is saying, Stephen Covey's saying, is do the most important things first to make sure it gets done because the day can get away from you, right? Because things will interrupt you and Stephen Covey and some of these other business leaders call that the tyranny of the urgent, right? You know what tyranny of the urgent is? Is people trying to get a hold of us saying, oh, hey, Kyle, I need you. Hey, I need you for this. I need you for that. I need you for that, right? I have something that's urgent to me, right, but might not be urgent to Kyle, right? I, I experience this in emails and text messages and notifications. You guys ever experience that? Like you have your plans for the day. You know what you need to do, what's most important, first things first. But then the phone starts ringing or the emails start coming, the texts start coming. And, and those are important things that we don't need to ignore, but we need to do them in order. Right? Let me give you an example. Okay? So in my life, on the day that I write the message like I'm giving to you today, that's the most important thing that I do that day. And so I wake up and I get in there and I've been working on it, but when I'm sitting down to write the sermon, right, 
I turn off my phone, I turn off my computer, right? Or I put it on airplane mode, right? In case I have to look something up to research it, right? I'm not gonna answer messages, I'm not answering phone calls, text messages. I've got to get the sermon done. That's the most important thing for me to do. Now, later in the day, I'm gonna check my voicemail, I'm gonna check my text messages, all that kind of stuff. That's important stuff. You don't ignore that. But if I don't do that sermon first, by the end of the day, it's not gonna get done, right? Because someone's gonna need me, and that's, that's important, Right, but got to get that done. What does that look like in, in your life? Right? Because that tyranny of the urgent, that stuff continues to come in and, and, and people say, I need you now, I need you now, and but sometimes they really can say, I need you now, but but it can wait, right? A lot of things can wait. Now if it's an emergency, absolutely. Somebody's sick in the hospital or there's a death, right? I interrupt that. But in our lives, we tend to go with whoever's the most noisy thing or the thing that that's that's trying to get our attention, saying, This is urgent, this is urgent. So in your life, right, what does that look like, right? What are the non-negotiables in your life, in your day? What needs to happen today? Do that first. And sometimes it's fun stuff like writing sermons, but sometimes it's difficult things like having a difficult conversation, right? Maybe tomorrow morning at work, you know that you've got to go and have a, a hard conversation with somebody. And if you're like me, you're going to try to put that off until the end of the day and you're going to worry about it all day, right? First things first, right? Get that conversation have that discussion, get it done, right? And then you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the day, right? That, but that's an important thing to do. So in your life, what are the non-negotiables? What needs to happen today, right? Hopefully it'd be like telling your spouse, I love you, right? You gotta make sure that, that, that you don't go through the day without telling your spouse that you love them, right? Maybe it's calling your mom. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's just stepping outside of the office and getting a few minutes of sunshine, right? That, or taking a walk around your neighborhood, or maybe it's exercise. You know, what is it that you need to have happen in your day that's just, it's not gonna be complete without that, right? If you can, arrange to do that first things first, right? Make sure that that happens, right? Because the rest of the stuff in our day is gonna come, it's gonna intrude, and by the end of the day, if we're not doing these things, then we're going to feel like we're on that treadmill. We're doing all these things. Some of them are important. Some of them mundane. And we get to the end of the day, and the things that feed us, the things that feed our hearts and our souls, they get swept to the end. And we're stressed, and we're miserable, and we'll all get to it tomorrow, but we never do. Right? What are the non-negotiables in your life? What needs to happen first to make sure that your day is a success, right? Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, what does that look like? Now, we have to juggle that, right? We still have responsibilities, absolutely, but we have to prioritize what's the most important thing, right? And then I think another question is, what is that tyranny of the urgent, right? What pops up in your life saying, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, I need your attention, and, and give it the attention that it needs, right? But sometimes it doesn't need to be dealt with first, right? So, and some of this, we might be putting on our own selves, right? It's not a boss, it's not a colleague, it's not a family member, it's stuff that we have just put into our lives at some point was important, but now it's not so important, but we continue to let it torture us. Let me give you an example. When Laura and I were first married, we were married for four years before we started having children. And that was a great time, right? We love having Luke and Nathan. We also had a great time together just as a couple, right? Learning what it meant to be married and having time together and get to go do stuff. And we traveled and we did fun stuff. And we, we loved being newlyweds for those first few years. And it was great, 
Right? But Laura and I both have talked about that. And, you know, what would we do differently if we could go back? And I kid you not, one thing that came up for both of us is we would have cleaned our house less than we did. Because <laughs> we're both obsessive compulsive in our personalities, right? And we kept a clean house. And every week we would clean a clean house, right? We would spend time cleaning a house that was already clean, right? You should see our house today, right? It's so like a bad day back then would be a great day today, right? And so, you know, if we could go back in time, like, like, you know how much more fun stuff we could have done than clean a clean house? I'm not kidding you, right? Like we impose things on our lives that we think are important that are not, right? And so today, I guarantee you, Laura and I, we don't sit around and think, wow, we used to have the best baseboards in all of our community. <laughs> it's not going to be on our tombstone, right? It's not going to be in the memoir, right? What is that for you? There's so much stuff in life. We say, I wish I had time for this. I wish I could do that. The things that are most important, but we add stupid stuff like your pastor cleaning an already clean house. And we wonder why our lives are falling apart. We wonder why we feel that we don't have time for each other or for God or for our kids or for our, our parents or our friends. And we're walking on that treadmill six and eight and ten hours. And we feel like those prisoners isolated with people torturing us and throwing stuff at us and absolutely making not a difference in the world. How many of us need to step off of that treadmill? So what's the important things? What? are the first things that should be first. There's a lot, right? Loving God and loving your neighbors yourself, right? Jesus has already outlined that, right? God and people. God, loving God, loving people, that's the most important thing. Let's look at some other things. One other thing in specific today that I think that, that, that would speak to you, I think it will, and it would speak to America and to our culture today, and it's gonna sound very countercultural, okay? So let's go uh, to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. This is just after God has created everything. God's created the world. God's created the universe. The Bible says he did it in seven, no, six days. What's a day? Probably more than 24 hours. Uh, but this is what happens when God gets done creating. Genesis 2, first book of the Bible, 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. The God of the universe who can do anything rested. And then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Right? God who can do anything valued at the end of six days, whatever a day was, right? I need to rest on the seventh. Even God needed rest. If God needed rest, don't you think we do? Why don't we do it? we need to clean a clean house, right? Let's keep going. Later in the Old Testament, right, some of those 613 rules that I told you about, this is one of them. It's still important, I think. Remember the Sabbath day, right? That was the day that God rested by keeping it holy, right? Set it apart. Holy means set apart, right? Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. God says, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. At least one day in the week, rest. Don't work. Spend time with me, God. Spend time with the people that you love. 
That's what we have set aside for Sundays, right? We're supposed to rest and spend time with God, with each other, not do work, right? And we're not legalistic here about that, right? And we're not, you know, it's not a rule, but I think we should pay attention to it. Is there a day during the week that you rest? Is there a time during each day that you rest, that you have time for God, that you have time for family, you have time for friends, and you're not filling up your calendars, walking on the treadmill over and over and over for stuff that just really doesn't matter, right? First things first, beware of the tyranny urgent. Make sure that you're building in time to rest and time for God and time for people in your lives. Now, Jesus, right, first century son of God, God himself, was a pretty busy person, you might imagine. We're going to pick up part of his life where he's right in the heart of his ministry, right? He's in his full-blown ministry, and he's teaching people, and he's healing people, and he's casting out demons, and he's been walking on water, and he's stilling storms and calming them down. And he just found out his cousin John had been executed, so he's dealing with grief in his life. He sent his disciples off on this missionary mission. They've come back. He's going to feed 5,000 men plus the women and children that were with him, like 10,000, 15,000 people. He's got a lot going on. Jesus has a lot going on. The 12 disciples got a lot going on. I want to show you a few verses to see, in the midst of that, what Jesus makes a priority. Look at this. A furious squall came up. The disciples are out on a boat, right, out on the Sea of Galilee. It's like a big lake, like Lake Norman. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion, right? There's a huge storm coming and Jesus is asleep, right? We had this huge hurricanes here in the middle of North Carolina this week, right? The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown, right? Jesus, there's a storm coming and you're taking a nap. Come on, man. We're going to study this in depth later in this series. But for now, I think it's pretty cool to see that in the midst of the storms of life, Jesus, the son of God, found time to take a nap. Jesus found time to take a nap, can't we? Let's keep going. Right. This is after Jesus has sent his disciples out to do all this missionary work, and they're, they're coming back, and they've been teaching about Jesus and going all over the place, and they're coming back, and they're, they're exhausted, and then this is what he teaches them. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus says to his disciples, you've been working hard. I'm proud of you. Right? You did great. You need to recharge your batteries. Get some rest. That might be God's specific words to you today. Get some rest. Let's keep going to where after Jesus has fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 10, 15,000 people, right, with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and so immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd, right? They've been doing the work of feeding the people, right? And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. The disciples were on the boat, and Jesus was alone on the land. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, who everybody wants to come and heal them and teach them, needed a break. And he took it. He needed a break, and he took it. Jesus was asleep. Jesus told his disciples, you need rest. Jesus went away by himself, and he rested. If the Son of God, if God himself can take some time to rest, then so can we. 
if the world continues to spin when the Son of God takes a break and has some rest, then when you take a break and have some rest, the world is not going to stop either. Are you on that treadmill? Are you walking up those stairs, six, eight? And I'm not saying stop working. The the treadmill is always going to be there. It's just, can we slow it down a little bit? Can we slow it down a little bit? Can we slow it down a little bit? So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's, What's the takeaway? This is what I think it is, right? Not everything has to be done, and not everything has to be done by you. Not everything has to be done, and not everything has to be done by you. Will you say that with me? Let's read that together. Not everything has to be done, and not everything has to be done by you. I want us to read it again. Instead of saying the word you, I want you to use the word me. Okay? Y'all got that? Let's do that. Not everything has to be done, and not everything has to be done by me. I think that's God's message for you today especially those of you who are on the treadmill and exhausted and don't know how you're going to make it and your life feels like a failure. It's not. Not everything has to be done. Not everything has to be done by you. So let me just give you a few things that you might think about doing this week. These are action steps, steps that you can take to take some action, right? First is put first things first. What needs to happen in your day? What needs to happen in your week? Make sure it happens. Hopefully it's time with God. Hopefully it's time with family. Hopefully it's time with friends. Right? Put first things first. Hopefully it's time for some rest, right? right? Next thing would be reduce those self-imposed tyranny of the urgent, right? How are we sabotaging ourselves? Like your pastor who cleaned the clean house. What is that in your life? Stop doing it, right? Stop doing it. It's okay to stop doing it. Stop adding stuff to your life that you just don't need to be doing, right? And then finally, be like Jesus, be like God, rest. Maybe it's 10 minutes here, maybe it's half day off. Definitely take, try to take a day off a week, right? At least a day off a week and rest, and rest. Do what helps you be restored, right? So a few things that we can think about doing. One final story, and again, this is a true story. Now, this happened in the 1700s, uh, and this was a woman named Susanna Wesley. Uh, she, her children, John and Charles Wesley, helped start the Methodist Church, which South Park Church is a Methodist church. So it's our lineage. Susanna Wesley, when we think about Mother's Day, had 19 kids. Yeah. Can you imagine? 19 kids? How many runny noses? How many kids need to be wiped and fed and hosed off and buttoned up and unbuttoned and fighting and arguing and puking and just imagine 19 kids now obviously the older kids help with the younger kids right but you still have 19 children you talk about someone who was busy and felt like living on a treadmill that never ended didn't have laundry machines didn't have anything to help in the process 19 kids And yet Susanna Wesley found a way to do some of the things that we're talking about doing today. And she had a system, right? When she was at her wit's end and she needed a moment's break, when she needed to spend some time with God, you know what she did? She took her apron and she threw it over her head, right? And when her apron was over the top of her head, kids knew, stay away from mama, right? (laughs) This is mama's time with God. This is mama's alone time, right? When you saw Susanna Wesley with the apron over her head, stay away from her. And guess what? The world didn't stop. 
kids still got raised. A couple of them started a denomination that's still going today, right? She found a way to put first things first and to do away with the tyranny of the urgency. What could your apron look like in your life? What apron do you need to create or claim or make happen? Because if a woman who had 19 kids can do it, then so can you, whether you have children or not. We're all busy. What does that apron look like for you? Not everything needs to be done, and not everything needs to be done by you. Be like God, be like Jesus. Put first things first, right? Don't let the tyranny of the urgent weigh you down and get some rest in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.